And now, Father, we've come to the time in the service where we open your word and we preach from its pages. We thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I ask now for that assistance. And I ask for you to touch me and enable me and move upon me that the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight. Touch me and may your word inspire us and cause us to be faithful. Let your word, O Lord, become a light to our path today. Teach us the steps that we should take and teach us the words that we should say. Help us, God, to let our light shine that glory will be given to our Father in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul is on his third missionary journey. Those missionary journeys took probably 10 years of his life. And his life is chronicled by those journeys that the Bible calls missionary journeys and trips that he made to different parts of the Mediterranean basin to establish churches and to establish ministry and to ordain and, and put bishops in place and pastors in place and elders in place. His was an awesome task. But the influence of the Apostle Paul upon the Christian faith is uh, indelible. It is just hard to uh, scope and to measure because his contribution is so great. Like I've said so many times, the Lord Jesus said, Upon this rock I'll build a church, my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But he didn't give us that structure that we get from the pen of the Apostle Paul. And many of you know that the Apostle Paul had physical uh, infirmities. He had an eye disease and he had uh, different uh, kind of physical uh, maladies that kept him from doing even more. But he employed the assistance of uh, anointed people that were around him. People like Silvanus and Tychicus and uh, Articus and many people like that in, and Luke who recorded for us the book of Acts. So the, the Apostle Paul was blessed to have good helpers and he did great things. He was very active. I'm, I'm amazed that at his age he was still able to travel as extensively as he did and as vigorously pursue the will of God for his life. He believed in alignment. He believed you need, needed to be in alignment in order to get the blessings from God. You know, Brother Sam, a lot of people have to kind of think about that and scratch their head. Alignment is a very important thing because if you're not in position, if you're not where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do, then it's hard to get that spill out blessings that there shall not be room enough to receive uh, in your part of service. But doing the will of God for your life is a good work. A good work. A, a good work is not necessarily a, a, a good work just because you do it because nobody else will. That's not a good work. That's a kindness and uh, complimentary on your part, but it's not necessarily a good work. A good work is doing what God called you to do. Amen. A good work is that specific thing that God anointed you to do. And every one of us in this house have a call of God and have an anointing of God to do that call. Amen. And you don't need to depend upon anybody else for your anointing. Your anointing comes from God to do what God calls you to do. And there's a big list of things that God calls people to do, uh, everything from healing and miracles to just being a help, a helper. 
There are some people that have the gift of helping. Amen. And God anoints them to be the best helper they can be. There's a gift of hospitality. There are people that are hospitable because God has gifted them in that way, and they're anointed to be hospitable. That means they're, they're welcoming, and they're entreating, and they're accepting, and uh, they're loving and kind. So there are many, many callings, not just to preach or sing or teach. There are many other callings that are just as important as the calling that I have upon my life. Now, you would be very, very hard on a person that is called to preach who won't preach. You should be equally as hard on people who are called to do other things who won't do those things. Boy, it's tough this morning, isn't it? So it's going to be that way, huh? All right. I'm ready for it. Turn with me to the 20th chapter of the book of Acts. We're going to start at the 17th verse. Now, this, this chapter uh, begins with an experience at uh, a, a church uh, in Troas. And how many of you know that Troas is Paul's home? It's where he was from. Tarsus, or rather, uh, was his home. This, this place was very close. He was a, a, a person that was preaching the Word of God, and the Bible said he preached a long time. Amen. It says that there was a guy named Eutychus in the uh, sixth verse, uh, a guy named Eutychus that falls out the window while Paul was preaching. Now, Don, you'd have to say that guy was halfway in and halfway out. And he fell out. And he fell a pretty good distance, too. When he fell, he hit the ground, and the people around him said he's dead. Eutychus, he's dead. Well, Paul, the Bible said, went down to where he was. And Paul had already preached. Near, it was nearly midnight. Now, I don't know if you could endure a, a midnight sermon, but Paul was still preaching at midnight. And this guy went to sleep and fell out the window. When he hit the ground, everybody thought he was dead. Paul ran down to him and fell upon him, the Bible says, and he's not dead. Life is still in him. And Paul prayed for him, and he got up, and the Bible said, and Paul went back inside and finished his sermon. You mean he had some more to preach? Hey, you better be thankful for Brother Jerry, huh? Amen. I don't go that long. Wow. After he went and raised the guy from the dead, he went back in and finished his sermon. And he'd already preached till midnight. That's quite a, quite a story, isn't it? In that 17th verse, they had sailed around Ephesus, and they'd made their way down to a place called Miletus. They'd sailed past Ephesus because Paul, the Bible said, had determined that he wanted to hurry and get to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Amen. How many of you know that Paul was a Pentecostal? Three? Well, that, I, well I can tell you, all inform some of you folks that Paul was a Pentecostal. Was Paul a tongue talker? He said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. In other words, he wasn't just a tongue talker. He was chief tongue talker. He out-talked them all. Wow. He believed in the gifts of the Spirit. Why, yeah. He believed in healing. He believed in miracles. He believed in laying hands upon the sick, and they recovered. There were miracles that were in his life that was just like in the life of Jesus. 
The apostle Paul had the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and he treasured it so much that the Bible said, he, I want to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. He knew what Pentecost was. Pentecost means 50th day. It was the 50th day since the Passover. And on the 50th day since the Passover, the Bible said when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in one mind and one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And they were all baptized in the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Praise God for Pentecost and Paul said, I'm eager to get back to Jerusalem because when I get back to Jerusalem, we're going to celebrate Pentecost. Well, you can't have Pentecost without Pentecost. And that may be why we don't have so much Pentecost anymore is because we're not aware of the Pentecost that goes along with Pentecost. There's a price to pay in order to have a Pentecostal blessing upon your church and upon your life. There, it's not just something that you haphazardly stumble into. It's something that is intentional, a baptizing of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible said that he stopped in Miletus after he'd passed by Ephesus, the port of Ephesus, and he, about a day's journey away, he sent and called, 17th verse says, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day in Asia, I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. I always lived among you in a certain manner. A manner. What was the manner that he lived? Serving the Lord. When I lived among you, I was serving the Lord. When I was in your city, starting your church, preaching the gospel, in your synagogues and in your places, in your, your town and visiting and talking talking to people and touching lives, he said, I was serving the Lord. Serving the Lord with all humility. Humility of mind. You see, some people think he must decrease and I must increase. But the correct quotation of that verse is, I must decrease and he must increase. You see, humility is necessary in the part of every person that serves the Lord Jesus. When the Bible said, Paul said this, when a man thinketh himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. He deceiveth himself. And the truth is not in him. When we think that we are saved by works of righteousness or some eligibility that we have, then we miss the whole point. When we realize that church is nothing more than a group of people that were sinners and they were saved by grace and found their way into the kingdom of God found their way into service to God, found their way into a place where they could be used of God. He said, when I lived among you, I was serving the Lord, and I was serving the Lord with all humility of heart. But he said it wasn't easy because there were some other things that happened. While I was serving with humility, something else happened. He said, there were many trials and many tears. You mean ministry has tears? Yes. There are many tears when you do ministry. There are many tough times when you do ministry. There are nights that you'll shed tears. There are prayers when you'll shed tears. There are sermons that you preach that you'll shed tears. And a person who has an humble heart will shed tears. A, a person that has 
an humble spirit and a, a spirit that is submitted to the will of God is a person whose heart is tender. Well, pastor, I, I, I don't know so much about that. There's a song that says, tears are a language God understands. Tears are a language God understands. God, the Bible said, is touched by the feeling of our infirmity. Our tears, the Bible said, God knows about our tears. And one day, faith, the Bible said, God himself, God himself will wipe away all tears from our eyes. God knows that there are tears along the way. God knows that there are tears that we shed along this way that we travel. But the, the key is that we remain submitted and faithful to what God has called us to do. He said, I, I've served the Lord with many trials and many temptations. How did they come? They happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Your King James says, by the lying and wait of the Jews. Isn't it something that you have to deal with opposition every step of the way? That when Paul was doing all the good things that he did for God, he was constantly in opposition to the Jews. Some of them, they called them the vagabond Jews. Some of them, they called Jews of the baser sort, lewd men that did nothing but oppose the Apostle Paul. I want to tell you, there's something that I do the devil doesn't like. You know what that is? Preach the Word of God. The devil hates the Word of God. He opposes it in every form that it is, is spread abroad. He hates when it's sung. He hates when it's preached. He hates when you teach it. You know why it is? Because Jesus said, my words, they are spirit and they are life. The, Jesus said, the Word of God is a light that shineth in a dark place until the day star uh, arise in our hearts. In other words, the Bible that we preach, the message of the saving grace of Jesus is a light. It's truth. It's got power. It is impactful. It changes things. And it changes people. And it changes situations. The Word of God is quick. That means it's alive. It's powerful. That means it has enablement. It does great things. And Paul said, because I preach, there are, are many pitfalls. There are many troubles, there are many oppositions to those who preach and do ministry. And it's because the devil hates the truth. What is his name? The Bible says he's a liar and the father of lies. Well, lies will always hate the truth. And the Word of God is truth and the Word of God is light. Paul said, I've testified to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus. Repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus. What he's saying is, I've repented. That means turned away from who I was. You see, when God called him, he was on the road to Damascus. He was going from house to house, but he wasn't preaching the gospel. He is going from house to house and arresting Christians and taking them and putting them in prison. He was beating their backs. He was even killing Christians, taking them captive. Yes, he was doing house to house, all right, but it wasn't serving God. But when God called him and God put him in ministry, he started serving God. When the Lord knocked him off that donkey, he said, Who art thou, Lord, and what do you want me to do? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. Go into Damascus and find Ananias on a street called Straight, and he'll tell you what you're supposed to do. Amen. And when Ananias had that 
message from God. He said, a man is coming. His name is Saul. He said, oh, I've heard about him. He said, he's a mean man. He takes people captive. Jesus said, don't be afraid of him. He belongs to me now, and I'm going to use him. He's going to be a vessel, and I'm going to use that vessel to bring honor and spread the gospel and spread the word of God. Aren't you glad that God uses people in spite of who they used to be, in spite of what they used to do, that God can change them through the power of the Lord Jesus, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus? Wow, that's powerful stuff. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, and here's what I want to talk to you about, not knowing things that will happen. Not knowing things that will happen. For harvest, not knowing the future, not knowing the things that will happen, the best thing we can do is go bound in the Spirit. What does that mean? That means submitted humbly to what God wants us to be. That means submitted fully and committed to what God wants us to do. It means doing unequivocally what the Lord has enabled us and given us energy and calling and anointing to do and be. And he said, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there. I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen. But he said, the Holy Spirit has not left me ignorant because I've got friends that are in ministry that are telling me what's what it's going to be like. In other words, they're telling me, he said, I go bound in the Spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me there. In other words, when I get to Jerusalem, I know I'll probably be arrested. I know that I am known in Jerusalem as a rebel, as a revolutionary. They don't like the fact that I preach the gospel of the saving grace of God to Gentiles. They don't like the fact that I have included Gentiles in the salvific work of the Holy Spirit. They don't like that. And I want to tell you, there is nothing people can be more mean about than religion. You think people get mean because of family. Brother, they get meaner about church than they do anything else. If you want to see meanness, you just let that spirit get in a church. You've never seen mean like you can see mean. Amen. Over the years, I've encountered that kind of stuff in churches, my friends' churches. One of my pastor friends from not, not far from here told me that a group of men came and met with him and said, if you don't leave this church and get out of here, we're going to start a rumor about you with a woman, and we're going to destroy your ministry, and we're going to kill your ministry. Y'all look like I slapped you in the face with a wet squirrel. You mean people do that in the name of religion, Brother Jerry? Yes. Yes. Yes, and that doesn't need to be preached here. I'm not preaching about that. I'm preaching about a guy that said, no matter what happens to me, no matter what they do to me, no matter if they lock me up, if they beat me, even Agabus walked around, you remember him? And he had a girdle, and he bound himself with it. He said, the man who owns this garment, when he gets to Jerusalem, is going to be bound. And Paul looked at him and said, well, Agabus, I know you're a prophet of God, and I know the Holy Spirit is telling you to tell me that. But I need you to know and everybody else to know that I am willing not only to be bound, 
but also to die that the will of God might be done. What a statement. I'm willing not only to be put in prison. I'm willing not only to have my back scourged. I'm willing not only to be put in cuffs and chains. I'm willing to die that the will of God might be done. Boy, what an attitude. That attitude would be very rare now, wouldn't it? Very rare for someone that would say, I would die. Paul said, bonds and afflictions, uh, uh, Bible, verse 24, but none of those things, none of those things move me. Move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I may finish. Glory to God. Many start, but not all finish. There used to be an old ministry couple in the Piedmont Church when I was young, and they would sing uh, that, that song. It's not the first mile that's so important. It's the last mile when day is done. It's the last mile. It's so important that we finish. It's so important that we finish strong. We started out so strong and were for many years the fastest growing denomination in America was Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. Many, many years. We had a, a rate of uh, expansion and enlargement that was something to be really, really proud of. And God has really blessed us. That rate has slowed now to something like 1% maybe here stateside. You know where we're growing largest? World Missions is growing at a clip of 17% per annum. Why is God blessing us in World Missions, but here in America, we're at a dead standstill? We're just holding our own. Is that God's will? No. That's not God's will. God's will is that all should come to repentance and be saved. God's will is that we should be doing everything that we can do to get a lost world to come to the Lord Jesus. We should be doing everything that we is in our, our power to reach every available person by every available means at every available time. We should be about our Father's business. I, I can preach the rest of my time about that one thing. Jesus wants us to go. The harvest is plenteous. Laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers instead of, Lord, Send somebody to my lost person and he'll get, say, no, Lord, I'm praying for laborers. God, send laborers. Send laborers. Pray for my lost loved one, Brother Jerry, that he'll get saved. Well, pray that God will send somebody to him. Pray that God will send somebody to her. Pray that God will put an event, an occasion in her path or his path so that they can be confronted with a decision about salvation. Somebody say amen. That's good preaching. Amen. Don't pray, pray, pray for him. He'll change his way. Well, why not pray for somebody to preach a gospel to him? Why not put somebody that has influence in his life that would cause him to want to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus? And here's the clincher, folks. Pray for the Holy Ghost to convict him. Because the Bible said, no man calleth Jesus Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And the Bible said, said how, how are they going to be saved except they have a preacher? And said, how shall he preach except he be sent? God sent laborers into the harvest. The harvest is plenteous. There are a lot of people that need to get saved. God sent laborers into the harvest that people will get saved. 
None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course. I'm going to finish what God called me to do and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus. Did he do that? I said, did he finish his course? Oh, if you'll read over in uh, that, that book of Timothy, you'll find out where he said, I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith, and I've finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give to me on that day, but not to me only, but to all of them also that love is appearing. Praise God. Do thy diligence to come unto me. Praise God. I, I pray that God will start a bonfire of enthusiasm in the heart of, of harvest, that we'll realize that we have a purpose and that we've got an assignment and that we need to get in alignment with God so that we can make the difference that this world needs to say. I go bound in the Spirit. God help us to do everything we do bound in the Spirit. Help us to do drive-through prayer bound in the Spirit. Help us to do ladies' ministries bound in the Spirit. Help us to preach, teach, sing, everything we do, unctioned by the Holy One, empowered to do what we do by the Holy Spirit. Now I know that you all among whom I've gone preaching, the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel. Therefore take heed unto yourselves and unto all the flock. Now who is he talking to here? Who did he ask in the very beginning? Elders of the church at Ephesus. In other words, he's talking to church leadership. He's talking to pastors. He's talking to staff members. He's talking to people that are influencers, people that are in leadership, who are responsible. You would call them shepherds. Shepherds that care for the flock. He said, take heed therefore unto yourselves. Well, why shouldn't I be taking heed to the flock? He said, first, make sure you yourself. Come on, somebody. So you can't lead until you have first put yourself in the position of needing God's help and God's grace. Amen. You rise and you fall on leadership. If leadership doesn't depend upon God, then how do you expect sheep to follow an elder? How do you expect sheep to follow a shepherd who isn't committed himself? The first thing he said, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the whole flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. You mean to tell me, Pastor, that leadership is responsible for the flock of God? Yes. Who put you in that position? The Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And then he says your number one duty. Are you ready for this? You're reading ahead of it, aren't you? Feed. Feed. When Jesus asked, do you love me? When they said, we do, he said, feed my lambs. The greatest expression of love that I can do for you is to preach to you an uncompromised word of God. The greatest show of love and respect for you that I can do is to share with you the infallible, holy, everlasting word of the living God. Praise God. I have not shunned to declare that 
And he said, the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Jesus is entrusting the greatest possession that he has. And that's what he purchased with his blood. And he said, I'm putting that in your hands. Elders of the church, take heed therefore in yourselves and all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves, grievous wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. What he's saying is there's going to be times when all that you're doing for God is going to be threatened. There's going to be times when all that you can do, preach, sing, teach, disciple, train, all of that will, be, will come under attack. And he called it grievous wolves. You see, whenever you're doing something for God, the devil is not just going to lay over and play dead. When you're doing something for God, get ready. I told you in a message years ago, if you want to go to the next level, expect a bigger devil. The more energy you exert in doing the will of God, the more strength and energy you're going to need to fight the enemy. Harvest has an enemy. And the Bible said he's on the prowl. I said he's on the prowl. We have an adversary who would stop us today if he could. We have an adversary that would disperse us today if he could. We have an adversary that would defeat us today if he could. And it's just the grace of God and the power of God's grace and love in our lives that keeps us from that uh, attack of the enemy. But he said, know this, after my departure, there's going to be difficult things and difficult times. Doing work for God is not easy. There's a battle to fight. Not even an amen. I must not be talking to, is there any fight left in you? Are you so tired of everything you've got no more fight? Has it been so tough that you're ready to quit? Are there any fighters in the house? Thank you. Is there anybody that feels like traveling on? Or would you rather just do like the crowd in the Bible? Well, let's just sit here till we die. I'm not going to sit here till I die. I said, I'm not going to sit here until I die. I'm going to keep on preaching. And I'm going to keep on living for God. I'm going to keep on telling every available person that Jesus saves and Jesus heals. It might be under a shade tree. It might be in a parking lot. It might be on a terrace row in a farm somewhere, but I'll be somewhere because the last day of my life, I'm going to be trying to do the will of God and I'm going to be preaching His Word. And if this is that day, then so be it. If this is that day, then okay. I don't know of a better way to go. And I wish that I could tell you that things are going to get better. I wish I could tell all of you that are watching 
by streaming right now that things are going to get better. It's going to get back to normal. I don't know that. I said, I don't know that. And nobody else knows that either. There's only one thing I know for sure. But I know, thank God I know, who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. And every step, every step, every step is getting brighter as those golden stairs I climb. Every burden is getting lighter. Every cloud is silver lined. Up there, the sun is always shining. There no tears will dim our eyes at the ending of the rainbow where the mountains touch the skies. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand and if you know who holds your hand you can finish your course with joy finish your course with joy and the ministry i'm going to finish my ministry paul said i'm not just going to finish my course i'm going to finish my ministry which i received of the lord jesus to testify of the grace of god i'm going to finish my course is that your attitude right now i'm going to finish i'm going to finish I'm going to finish my course. I'm going to finish my course. I hope you're going to finish your course. You know, when friends that you've known all your life, most of your life, pass on, like some of mine did this week, down in South Georgia, Tifton, Adale, Valdosta. Lord, I've preached so many times down through there. Preached camp meetings, pastors' conferences. All, all over down there. When they called and told me Joanne Blair had passed, we called her Mama Joe, that Mama Joe had passed. One of the kindest, sweetest, gentlest, most faithful persons you've ever met in your life. Her son is the general director of youth and Christian education for the Church of God in Cleveland, David Blair. I sent a text to David, and I said, David, words cannot express the sorrow in my heart when I was told of the passing of Joanne. But for Joanne, the long and winding road has now turned to gold. And someday for us, this road will turn to gold. Praise God. That hope that we have, folks, is the one thing that propels us and drives us forward and drives us on is the hope that we have in Christ. For if we don't have hope in Christ, we're all men most miserable. Miserable, miserable. Thank you, Father, for being with us this morning. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the enthusiasm that's in my heart to go forward for God and do what is necessary to be God's hand extended. Touch us now as we dismiss from this place, but not your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you and God go with you.